Hello and welcome to the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with my co-host and cohort Richard Gottlieb on the keys as always. We've got a great show today. The Playground Podcast is brought to you by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guy, and Beacon Media Group. And we are really pleased to welcome Alex Prieto, who is Director of Fun for Toy Zone. Yay, right? Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what Toy Zone is and, and what does a Director of Fun do? Yeah, well, that's easy to explain, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, well, that's my role in life, right? Try to make people happy, uh, and you know, obviously, it starts from from uh, myself to the rest of the team, and uh, hopefully, it translates to the consumer, right? Uh, through products and entertainment. So, Toy Song is a it's a studio, and basically, what what I do is is try to have fun. Right, uh, <laughs> so it's it's definitely a, a roller coaster, you know, the toy industry and and obviously the the design part and and what we do here in Toy Song is is nuts, but we love every minute of it. So so what we do, we, who who we are, we are a toy design agency. We're specializing toys, kind of like you know, show ourselves as a three sixty option. Uh, or the only three, real 360 toy studio in the market. And why? Because we cover, you know, every aspect or everything that a, a toy brand or an IP owner needs to bring their, their brand to life or to bring it to market, right? Can you give us some examples of the types of things that you work on? Obviously, a lot of toy design, from conceptual design to, you know, uh, like heavy lifting cats and, and uh, complex electronics. But we also do a lot of animation, IP creation, graphic design for packaging. The part that we, I, I think we do the best now is bringing new IPs to life. But from what I'm hearing, this is a especially challenging time to bring new IP to the market between a lot of stuff out there, retail skepticism, children being overwhelmed. What do you do or, or what do you think will break through and, and what do you find is innovative in the current market? It's a real special time. Like you said, there's, a, there's some, you know, markets like the U.S. that are very, very, you know, concerned about bringing new products and trying to launch a new brand could be really, really difficult. Uh, but at the same time, I, I would say most of the companies continue on their, you know, on their development, continue on innovating in a different way, right? So price points are going lower. So it doesn't mean you don't have to innovate. You just have to try to, you know, perhaps simplify the products or simplify packaging or find ways to reach new price points, right? Um, but but yeah, bringing IP is different because we're not only talking for, you know, about toys or toy companies, we're talking about entertainment. Um, you know, the more, you know, internet and, and all these platforms and all these networks that we have, everybody needs IP and everybody's always hunting for IPs. Toy Zone is in the north of Spain and Richard wanted to know, and, and I'm curious too, do you find differences, subtle differences between cultures as you're creating IP? 100%. A good example I'll give you is, uh, you know, Coco Melon, you know, it's for example, it's a, it's a huge IP that it hasn't worked in Spain, for example. Why? Uh, in, in a lot of Spanish-speaking countries, it's not, it's not working or the product is not working as it was expected from other territories. Why? Because of, you know, they use uh, traditional songs or they use something that for, 
you know, for somebody it could be traditional, but for other country might be totally different, right? So I think kids' traditional songs are one example that are completely different in many markets and many territories, right? So then, you know, when you go in Europe, we have a lot of obviously cultural differences. If you compare how the, the French market is compared to other markets, you know, the French market has, you know, a very um, pale approach to product. They like more traditional toys. They like their packaging to be more soft and look at more classic play patterns. The UK is very similar to the US in terms of consumption and type of product. But at the end, yes, all these you need to take into consideration when you're launching a, a range where you, you know, where you want to launch, who are you launching it for, uh, and so on, right? What about a changing consumer? We're seeing Gen Z coming along and Gen Alpha is right behind them. And, oh, no. oh yeah, oh yeah, Gen Alpha's coming. And so so what does yeah. that how do you have They're coming fast? They, they are coming fast. People keep reproducing and growing up. I don't know what that's about. In any event, what do you see as the differences with consumers and audiences today than perhaps when you guys started? And, and how are you addressing that? I think it's all how they consume media and how they consume IP or or so on, right? So we come from, you know, from a background of TV. But I think right now, identifying which channel or which uh, way these kids consume media and consume advertisement is very challenging and it changes very fast, right? So I think one of the problems and the major problems we have is very difficult to identify the target age. Before, it was kind of like easy to say, okay, this is preschool, this is, uh, you know, whatever. And, and it, was, it was easier to put the kid in one place. Now, it's impossible. Now, you know, <laughs> they're kind of like cross-border, you know? So from kiddo to preschool, it's very difficult to identify those areas, right? And where, where they're going to go to watch these media or, or these IPs, right? right. Uh, so I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have right now. And, and as Richard points out, it was it was easier perhaps, but it was significantly more expensive. The barriers to entry to putting something up on YouTube or TikTok, it's not as prohibitive from a cost standpoint. So you can take some risks, yes? Before. Now, I would say the cost of YouTube, the cost of uh, you know influencer media, the cost of you know, uh, generating content, the cost of creating what you need is huge. It's getting very high, right? It's, it's it, you know, if we talk five years ago, six years ago, maybe. But right now, you know, it's very crowded. And at the end of the day, when it's crowded, it needs, you need a budget. And you need to, uh, to get those budgets are getting bigger and bigger. And you're also a regular contributor to Global Toy News. And as Richard says, you come across as very passionate about this topic. And indeed you do. Where does your passion come from? So, uh, well, I was, I was born in this industry. So my father started uh, with a kite company back in the 70s. And he actually established one of the first kite factories in, in Spain. And he also in the States was one of the founders of Spectrostar Kites. So I was born in a, in a factory full of colors, full of, you know, nylons and different materials. And I think that has a lot to, to do <laughs> with it. But also, you know, he actually took me around and being involved in the industry since I was a teenager. So always find it pretty, you know, pretty amazing, pretty, pretty cool. So taking that passion and that, that early exposure to kites, I loved kites when I was a kid as well. 
how did Toy Zone evolve and, and what are you guys doing these days? It's funny. Uh, obviously, we still run Yolo. So Yolo Toys is still our, let's say, our company as, a, as our own brand, products that we bring to market directly. And when COVID uh, hit, uh, we couldn't travel to Asia. We couldn't travel to, you know, to China uh, and Hong Kong, which we as, as obviously love. Uh, but also we got a lot of things done over there. So we say, OK, we need to bring the design and the development department here. So we say, OK, let's let's set up a studio in Spain. So in 2019, we already had a little bit of a design team here, but it was not huge. And in 2020, we just kicked it off and started as an internal design department. But soon enough, we realized it was a very common need. Uh, so everybody needed these resources and needed this flexibility of taking these out of China and trying to, you know, to have somebody around here that could solve the problems. It happened very fast. And now we're a design studio, we're an app game studio, and we are an animation studio. We're doing things for, I don't know, uh, you all know Nico Blau, of course. So, so, uh, so from Boti, so we are the design department of Boti. Uh, we're the design department of uh, Color Baby in Spain. Different companies that are outsourcing. We're not trying to take their design department away. What we're trying is to be a third leg and try to be a complement uh, to these companies. Richard was asking about AI, artificial intelligence, and it certainly was a huge topic at a conference where I just spoke a couple of weeks ago. What do you think of AI? If you are using it, how are you using it? And where do you think ultimately, this is a lot of question, where do you think ultimately it will influence toy design? So you can take any piece of that you want because that's a lot, sorry. That's <laughs> good. I mean, we've been using AI for about a year and a half. We have a proper AI department, which uh, sounds, sounds crazy. But uh, basically, when AI was kind of like commercialized or, or became a little bit more, more public, uh, we decided to take a step in uh, basically to learn, you know, what were going to be the key assets or the key programs or, or you know, the key elements that we could, we could actually utilize to become more efficient, right? And, and I think AI is going very fast, but at the same time, right now is a, it's a, it's a blast of what's going on in AI. But I think people need to identify which tools are really, you know, the key tools because there's a lot of noise out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things coming out all the time. And if you don't choose the right tools, it's like you don't have anything, right? Obviously, you know, everybody thinks it's gonna be the end of, uh, of mankind. You know, maybe they're right, but in the meantime, let's try to use it. <laughs> so, so that's what we say, right? Uh, and I think it will it will allow uh, companies like us, for example, you you know, everybody thinks about this is going to make you lose your job. I think if you know the right tools, if you know how to use it, you know, people are not going to are still not going to go in and try to do it themselves if they can, you know, find somebody that can actually do it properly and faster. And it's, it's, it's a reasonable cost, uh, one. And second, it makes the smaller companies, the same thing that the internet made us all global. Any company could reach any company, uh, you know, globally. In these cases, makes the smaller companies become big corporations, right? So, so right now you can create an IP uh, just writing, uh, you know, a couple of sentences. But I think the key is how do we use this 
in the right way to create better. These things can help you analyze deep, right? So it can help you go deep into, into uh, you know, an, a topic and say, okay, if we want to go, you know, here or here or here, and we want a kid to learn this, this, or this, it can help you, you know, on your thought process. It can help you become a lot more detailed, right? While before it was like, hey, we have to hit a 40.99, let's run. <laughs> so... And the industry is always changing. One one of Richard's favorite queries is, what happened to the buggy whip manufacturers when when the car came in? The people who made buggy whips suddenly had no business, but they had to evolve into making other kinds of things. And I think that's what we're looking at right now is, is an evolution of the toy industry, not just for AI, but for many other reasons as well. What do you see as, as besides AI, what do you see as the major factors influencing the changes in the toy industry right now? Retail. Oh, that. <laughs> no, I think, I think retail, obviously, you know, we come from two, three years of huge consumption, of huge growth. We grew 163% last year in Eolo, which is amazing, right? But, but also has a second le- you know, line that is like, how can we continue that level of growth or how we maintain there, right? That's the that's the key. If you can maintain that level of growth, then you're growing. If not, you're just eating capacity or eating sales from the following years, right? Uh, and I think that happened a lot last year where a lot of people grew a lot and then suddenly, bam, you know, demand dropped because there was a plan, you know, there was products, there was a lot of things in the market. And now, you know, we're seeing that the cleanup and cleanup obviously slows down development, it slows down, down the, you know, whatever projects we had. But, but at the same time, I think it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, something waiting to happen, right? <laughs> In terms of trends, so obviously retail, you know, sets the pace. But then obviously, uh, for us, I think a lot of it, I think packaging is going to change uh, quite a lot in the next, the next couple of years. So, so packaging for us needs to become part of the play pattern. It needs to become part of the toy. It needs to become really uh, a value added part or it needs to disappear. There's no way we can continue opening, uh, you know, products and throwing away garbage at the rate we do it. It's just crazy, right? I think it's very crazy, and and that's what I was getting at with the Gen Z consumer. They they are wanting to buy less, and they are they don't like all the packaging. And I, we've seen toy companies begin to respond, but it's just going to have to go further than that. Uh, and I think if you look at Apple new glasses or goggles, whatever you want to call it, or I, I think it's not my best reference of a great item. I think it's the beginning of something. Uh, you know, I've been talking about this for a while when the NFT world became the NFT and, and everybody was talking about NFTs last year. When you see something like this and you see the direction of, hey, we're not going to have TVs in the future. You don't need a physical TV. Like, how are you going to produce so many TVs and so many uh, products? It, it becomes impossible, right? So, so with this type of of integrations, you're going to be avoiding having a physical item. And I think in the toy industry, we're going to have to think of ways that non-physical items become also part of the play. And, and I think that could be something there. 
thinking far. And I think that's what's required. And I do think that VR has been a challenge for the toy industry, that nobody's been able to really get it to work effectively as a toy because it really does close the child off. And there's not a lot of parents who are going to drop $3,500 in the U.S. for the new Apple goggles. You know, that's going to be a high-end luxury item. Obviously not. Like so many things we see, it's the first iteration of something that may develop. But I still don't think, this is me personally, that things that separate kids from one another in play and put them into an isolated world is really an effective play pattern. No, I think no. uh, But it all depends, uh, you know, what's let's say what's going to happen with the next generation, because for you is not normal for them. It's going to be yeah. super normal. I right. Know. I'm old. So, <laughs> so we don't decide that. Right. 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 And, and I think that that the, the significant thing is that these are kids who are going to grow up with this in the world. So they're going to see it just as like, you know, some kids, grandparents thought they were geniuses because they could reset the talk, the clock on the VCR, <laughs> right? So, so there's always the thing about technology. You know, I, let, I, I tell you one thing, though. If you see my daughter's playground this Monday morning, I will definitely prefer a, a virtual room. <laughs> it was a mess. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. So, that, that's, that's wonderful and, and exuberant. And I love that exuberance. Like we said, we have to think about the new generations and how they're going to perceive the world and how we, you know, want them to perceive it, right? I think play, traditional play and traditional toys, and we are strong believers on it, especially at Eolo, we've been specialized at, you know, bringing play patterns that are traditional and that, you know, we kind of like give them a twist and bring them back. And so we've been doing this for a long time. Right. Uh, And we really believe kids, you know, younger ages are going to continue playing the same way. All all the companies now, we need an engagement with our consumers for, you know, older generations. So we need to target beyond six years old because the age group is going lower, lower, lower. And, you know, it's, it's becoming toys are becoming, you know, maximum six, seven uh, and and it's 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 difficult, right? So so we need to bring that gap up, and for that we need to be a little bit more techy. We need to change uh, as well. This is great. And so as we wind this up here, I am going to ask you the question we're asking everybody on this season of the Playground Podcast: Who is the person in the toy industry who has had the most influence on your career? One is my father, obviously. Uh, you know, he's been my big, the biggest pain in the ass uh, of my life. And, and I thank him for that. You know, he's put me in all these crazy situations and, uh, and you know, he gives me all this experience that now I can, I can be thankful, you know, for all that. Uh, so obviously, Rafael Prieto, my dad, he's, uh, he's number one. And then I have, um, I have another one, which is uh, funny enough. Peter Lewis. I don't know if you you know Peter Lewis from Barter. Right. Um, it's one of all these guys in the toy industry. So when I was living in Hong Kong, I spent a lot of time with Peter. I still in contact with Peter. I still do you know things with him, and and I think he's uh, got a lot to to tell still about the, the toy industry. And he he actually helped and and teach me a lot. And uh, last but not least, let me say another one. <laughs> Nick Mowbray. 
So, you know, Suru, we, Nick and I, we're, we're friends from the starts uh, back in the day in Hong Kong when, when he, he had a, a little, you know, a little ball range. He didn't even have a toy company yet, I would say. He has proven he had a real plan and, and his plan is, is there. It's, it, you know, you can see it in the market more and more. Well, Alex Prieto, Director of Fun for Toy Zone. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a great conversation and we really appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are supported by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guy, and Beacon Media Group. We'll see you next time.